Polanski directed his first film in 1955, a short film named Rower. Since then, he's gone on to write, direct, and even act in a number of movies that you've certainly seen, or at least heard of. Award-winning films such as 1968's Rosemary's Baby, 1971's Interpretation of the Shakespeare Story, Macbeth, 1975's Chinatown, and many more films that have been nominated or won prestigious awards. To date, Roman has won a total of 81 awards with an additional 72 nominations in his successful career. In 2003, he won his only Oscar as Best Director for 2002's The Pianist. It was a film that was close to Roman's heart. You see, the story in The Pianist is not too distant from Roman's own childhood. Roman Polanski was born in Paris in 1933, but his life would never be the same when his parents moved to Poland four years later in 1937. When the Nazis invaded Poland two years later, Roman was one of the few who survived the Holocaust. He did so after escaping the Krakow ghetto when his mother was murdered by the Nazis. He survived by hiding in a Polish farmer's barn for the duration of the war. As with anyone who lived through such horrific events, his life would never be the same. So with Roman's past that has connections to the story in The Pianist, how accurate is the film? I'm Dan Lefebvre, and this is Based on a True Story. Before we begin this episode, let's play a little game. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. I'll share two facts that are true and one lie. Then at the end of the episode, we'll learn which is which. Okay, here they are. Number one, Vadik was caught by a German officer near the end of World War II, but the officer helped him hide and survive by giving him food. Number two, just like Wodek in the movie, the film's director also survived a Polish ghetto and had family members murdered in the Holocaust. Number three, Wodek joined the Polish underground and was a key figure in the Warsaw Uprising. You'll find all of the answers scattered throughout the episode. In fact, we might have already covered one of them, but you can stay on to the end of the show to find out the correct answers. Oh, and I wanted to share some exciting news with you before we continue. I'm happy to announce that the very first volume of Based on a True Story is now available as a physical book. With almost 700 pages in each chapter covering and a different amazing short story that we've heard here on the show, it's all re-edited and formatted for easy reading. It's the perfect fireside companion to stay warm this winter season. Prefer an electronic version perhaps? No problem, got that too. Get your own copy now over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash books, or by searching for Based on a True Story, Volume 1 on Amazon. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash books. Thanks again for listening, and now, on with the show.
Wenislaw Spielmann was born on December 5th, 1911 in the city of Sosnowitz, which at the time was a part of the Russian Empire, but is in modern-day Poland. He learned how to play the piano at the Chopin Academy of Music in Warsaw in the late 1920s. In 1931, he studied at the Academy of Arts in Berlin. He left Berlin in 1933, just as Adolf Hitler was taking control of Germany as its chancellor. Upon returning to Warsaw, Wadislaw, or Wedek as most people called him, earned a living touring Poland as a pianist for a year before joining the Polish radio. For years, he made a name for himself performing on the radio. And that's where the events depicted in the opening scene of the movie start. Wadek, who's played by Adrian Brody in the film, opens the movie by playing the piano over the radio. It's Frederick Chopin's Nocturne No. 20 in C-sharp minor. As he plays, the station is bombed and everyone is forced to evacuate the building. While rushing out, Vadek runs into a friend who introduces him to his sister, Dorota, who's played by Amelia Fox. These events are pretty accurate, although the one inaccuracy here is with the character of Dorota, someone who's never mentioned in Vadek's autobiography. In fact, probably the biggest criticism that many historians had for the film was Roman Polanski's decision to add a love interest between Vadek and Dorota when there was none because, as far as we know, she didn't even exist. I'm sure it's no surprise that I believe we can learn from history. And that includes my own personal history too. You know how your phone will remind you of photos that you took on this day a few years ago? Well, I just had one pop up and it reminded me of a time a few years ago when my daughter and I were heading out on a four hour drive to a state park. And it couldn't have been more like 10 minutes into the drive when my check engine light turned on and my car just started shaking really, really bad. Needless to say, we ended up spending the rest of the day at the mechanic instead of the park. Not only was that day ruined, but all of a sudden I had a huge unexpected bill to figure out how to pay. And I really wish I had known about today's sponsor then because that would have relieved a lot of stress. Earn In helps alleviate financial anxiety by giving you access to your pay as you work instead of waiting for the next paycheck. You can get up to $100 a day or up to $750 per pay period. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up, and it'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. Back in the movie, when Vodik returns home, his family is packing to leave Poland. This is interrupted when they hear that both Britain and France have declared war on Germany. It's a cause for celebration as they believe the fight will be over soon now that Britain and France have entered the war. The specifics of the conversations and such are fictionalized for the film, but the basic gist of this is accurate. On September 1st, 1939, the German Luftwaffe started bombing Warsaw and began what we now know as the Siege of Warsaw. 
Although this isn't mentioned in the movie, the German propaganda was running high at this point, so many of the German and Polish people truly thought that it was Poland who was the aggressor and Germans were merely acting in self-defense. Of course, history now shows that the incidents the German propaganda pointed to was all staged by the Germans. On September 3rd, two days after the first German bombs fell, both Britain and France responded to the German aggression in Poland by declaring war on Germany. This didn't stop the Germans. On September 8th, the aerial assault ended and the German army started to arrive. For almost a full month, the Polish army held off the Germans until, on September 28th, the siege ended with about 100,000 Polish soldiers being taken prisoner. Three days later, the German Wehrmacht marched into Warsaw and then, on October 8th, the German government announced their annexation of Western Poland. The Soviet Union annexed Eastern Poland as part of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. In the movie, after the Germans take over Poland, we see through the eyes of Wadek and the Spielmann family as things start to deteriorate in Warsaw. It starts small. As a Jew, Wadek isn't allowed to enter a restaurant. A Nazi soldier slaps Wadek's father, who's played by Frank Finley in the film, and tells him to walk in the street instead of the sidewalk. This little-by-little little deterioration is pretty accurate to what really happened. When the Germans invaded Poland in 1939, it had the largest population of Jews out of any European country. Before the German invasion in 1939, there were an estimated 3.35 million Jews in Poland. At the time, Warsaw had a population of about 1.3 million, and about a third of those were Jews, or about 363,950 people. Like the movie indicates, when the Germans took over Warsaw, they didn't come in and start killing Jews right away. Instead, they started restricting rights, one at a time. Refusing access to shops, segregation from others, charging exorbitant rates for public transportation, or refusing it outright, forcing them to wear the Jewish star, and so on. As things continue to get worse day by day, in the movie, there's a Jewish police officer who comes to the Spielmann's home and invites Wadek and his brother Henrik to join the force. In the movie, Henrik is played by actor Ed Stoppard. Adrian Brody's version of Wadek turns down the offer in disgust, refusing to help the Nazis. After this offer, the movie cuts to a cafe where Wadek is playing the piano for the Jewish upper class. The events in the movie bring up a very sad but true fact. Many of the Jews in Poland helped the Nazis by turning on their own. In exchange, the Nazis gave this Jewish police force special treatment. Things like better rations, not shooting them in the streets, and things like that. Of course, all of that special treatment disappeared as soon as the Nazis had what they wanted from them, but for the time covered in the movie, the Nazis needed help rounding up the hundreds of thousands of Jews. And since the Nazis wanted to use as few soldiers as they needed so the rest could be sent to the battlefront elsewhere, they instead devised this plan to build a Jewish police force. Here's where I should mention some controversy around Wadek. In 2013, an author named Agata Tuzinska published the biography of a Jewish singer by the name of Vera Gran. Vera was a popular singer before the war and claimed she knew Wadek from the Warsaw Ghetto she made some very harsh accusations against him. Now, as I just mentioned, Vera was a singer before the Holocaust, and she said she knew Wadek from their times performing in the Stutzka Cafe 
just like the one that's depicted in the movie. Vadik would play the piano, and Vera would sing. According to Vera, Vadik worked for the Jewish police, or as they called them, the Jewish Gestapo, and was one of the men who helped the Nazis transport the Jews to Treblinka. The only source of information for this claim is from Vera herself, and it was one she only started to make through her biography. Vera's biographer, Agata, says she left the accusations in her book because she was merely presenting the facts as Vera stated them. Vadik's son, Andrzej, went so far as to sue Agata for defamation and explain that his father was never a policeman in the ghetto. He believes the reason Vera made these accusations was because she was bitter at Vadik because Vera herself had been accused of collaborating with the Nazis. There's no proof of Vera's claims other than, well, Vera's claims. On the other hand, there's documents produced by Andrzej's lawyers that show Vadik's name was never recorded as a policeman in the ghetto. And considering the amount of top-secret documentation that we have of what took place in World War II thanks to the fall of the Nazi regime, you'd think that if he were in collaboration with the Nazis, his name would have been recorded somewhere. But even though Vadik wasn't one of the Jewish policemen, there were many who were. There were plenty of documents that show there were Jews who collaborated with the Germans in exchange for their own safety and well-being. So the scenes depicted in the pianist with Jews pushing other Jews around as they board trains are quite realistic. While the movie doesn't mention it, most of these Jews ended up going to Treblinka, an extermination camp set up by the Nazis in the forest just northeast of Warsaw in 1942. In the movie, the Spielmann family and thousands of other Jews are herded into a small area to await their turn on board a train destined for Treblinka. Well, we know that's where they're going. They had no idea where they were bound. While they're waiting, Vadek's father spends their last 20 zlotas, the Polish currency of the time, on a small piece of caramel. Carefully cutting it into six pieces, the Spielmann family has their final meal together. This depiction in the film is very accurate. The final meal. The woman sitting behind them monotonously repeating, why did I do it over and over again? Even down to the argument that another Jewish man has with Vadik's father about fighting back. All true. After this happens in the movie, it's one of the Jewish police officers who saved Vladik's life when he's yanked from the line for the train. Here he's separated from his family, never to see them again. This too is true. One of the policemen who was organizing the Jews onto the train had recognized Vadik in the line. After all, many of the Jewish police frequented the cafe where Vadik had earned a meager living at the beginning of the Nazi occupation. The policeman yanked Vadik out of the line and forced him behind the line and out of sight, just like we saw in the movie. And just like we saw in the movie, Vadik tried to get back. He tried to rush back to his family. He didn't know his family was marching off to their deaths. And then, in an instant, he did. Can you imagine what that realization must be like? After everything they've been through together, after everything they've witnessed and survived together, to be ripped away from your family, only to realize they were heading off to their deaths. And you, what are you to do? It's impossible to contemplate. In the movie, Vadek survives by hiding for a while. Then he blends in with Jews who the Nazis use as a slave workforce. 
He then escapes and manages to survive through a number of people who help him hide. There's a small hole in the wall where he hides behind a wooden bookcase, or the small apartment where he holds up with a man in the Polish resistance. Again, these are all pretty accurate to what actually happened. Although Videk's cover wasn't broken by the noise of plates shattering on the floor like Adrian Brody's version did in the film, instead it was while he was making soup when he heard a banging at the door. After it wouldn't stop, the woman on the other side threatened to call the police. Vodak gathered what he could and tried to sneak out the door. Just like in the movie, the woman confronted him and demanded to see his pass. When he couldn't provide one, the woman began attracting the attention of the others in the apartment house as she shouted at him and tried to block his exit. He managed to escape. In the movie, here is where Adrian Brody's version of Vodak goes to the emergency contact he's given. As it turns out, this is Dorota's home, and she hides him for a while. As we learned earlier, Dorota wasn't real, and this part isn't true. Instead, Vonik went to the only people he knew in the area. They weren't really friends, merely acquaintances. But this is a great point to make here, because just like the movie indicates, there were many people who helped however they could. Not just with Vodak, but with hiding many Jews from the Germans. And all of it was at the risk of their own lives. After all, the Nazis had made it perfectly clear that the penalty for harboring a Jew was death. Oh, how far it had come from just a few years before when the penalty for being a Jew started with things such as higher prices for public transportation or segregation. By the time 1943 rolled around, anyone even associated with a Jew was subject to death. Despite this discrepancy in the movie with Dorota, the gist of the story is fairly accurate. In the movie, Dorota's husband gives Vadik an apartment just across the street from a German hospital, something he thinks might keep him safer being so close to the enemy that no one would think to look there. Here, according to the movie, he's looked after by a man with the Polish resistance. Except, as we learn in the film, he doesn't do a very good job of taking care of him. Instead, when Dorota comes to bid farewell because she and her husband have to flee Warsaw and go into hiding themselves, she finds Adrian Brody's version of Vodak sick, jaundiced, and suffering from malnutrition. The details are a bit different from reality, but the basic gist is pretty accurate. In truth, Vodak was hidden in an apartment just across the street from a German hospital. But the incident where the man who failed to look after him well, a man named Salis, who's played by Andrew Tiernan in the film, happened in the earlier apartment. That's the one where, in the movie, Adrian Brody's version of Vodak broke the plates and the woman screamed at him for his papers in the hallway. So in truth, while Vodak was in the apartment across the from the hospital, rather, Silas wasn't taking care of him then. Instead, while he was here, he was cared for by a woman named Helena. And just like Dorota did in the movie, Helena did a great job taking care of him. She visited often, bringing food, and even arranging for a doctor to sneak in and take a look at him when his health began to waver. In the movie, you can tell the war is beginning to shift around at this point, as there are people revolting against the Germans in the streets outside Vodak's apartment. Salas comes and lets Vodak know the Americans have landed in France. It's only a matter of time before they drive the Germans back. Of course, we know it wasn't Salas who delivered this news, but instead it was Helena. And the resistance shown in the movie is also accurate. Today, we know of it as the Warsaw Uprising. 
While the movie doesn't really focus too much on it, the uprising began on August 1, 1944. As the Soviet army approached Warsaw, the residents of the city started to realize the Nazis' grip was coming undone. Just before the rebellion began in the afternoon of August 1st, Helena paid a final visit to Vodik. She knew of the resistance and that all hell would break loose soon, and she wanted to bid Vodik farewell in case they shouldn't survive the impending conflict. With assistance from the Royal Air Force, the South African Air Force, and the U.S. Army Air Force, the Soviet Air Force, and what little remained of the Polish Army that had been forced out of their homeland when the Nazis took over, the Polish underground organized a revolt. But the Nazis did more than just fight back. They organized their own revolt of sorts. We'll never know the exact numbers, but what we do know is that about 8,000 Germans were killed in the Warsaw Uprising compared to 16,000 in the Polish underground. Perhaps the most horrific of all was about 200,000 Polish civilians who were slaughtered in mass executions by the Nazis. For no other reason than the German leadership saw their end was near and they were determined to take out as many as they could as they went down. While Wadek couldn't have seen the extent of the murder and chaos around the city of Warsaw, just like the movie shows, he did see some of it from his apartment window. In the movie, Wadek is forced from his apartment after it's demolished in the uprising, or more specifically, by a blast from a German tank as it shoots back at resistance fighters. He ends up in the attic of an abandoned building where he's found by a German officer named Captain Wilm Hosenfeld, who's played by Thomas Christman in the movie. According to the movie, Captain Hosenfeld asks Wadek to play the piano, which he does, and then he does the unthinkable. He helps Wadek to survive. Not only does he keep Wadek hidden, but he's even offering to help provide food and supplies. This too is all true. Oh sure, some of the minor details may have been altered some for the film, but the core of it is all true. It had been two and a half years since Wadek had played the piano, but when the German officer asked him to play, he did respond by playing Chopin's Nocturne in C-sharp minor, just like this.
officer helped Vodak find a place to hide in the attic and even returned a few days later to give him some bread and jam. Just like in the movie, the officer gave Vodak his coat to help him stay warm. And just like in the movie, this would become an issue a few weeks later when the Soviet army recaptured Warsaw. Although it wasn't the Soviet army who came across Vodak first, instead it was members of the Polish army. When they saw Vodak in a German coat, they almost shot him before they heard him screaming that he too was Polish. That gave them just a moment's pause, and when they looked closely, they saw he must not have been German. Considering he hadn't shaved, showered, or eaten a real decent meal in months, he had to have looked quite different than a German soldier. The final text on the screen in the movie says that Vodak lived in Warsaw until he died on July 6th, 2000 at the age of 88. Then it says the German officer, Captain Wilm Hosenfeld, died in a Soviet prisoner of war camp in 1952. As you can probably guess by now, both of these are true. In his autobiography called The Pianist, there are excerpts from the journal of Captain Wilm Hosenfeld. They're mostly letters that were sent back to his family. The last of these was dated August 11th, 1944, and explains how the Germans know they've all but lost the war, and Hitler has ordered them to raise Warsaw to the ground. For his claims that he helped a Jew, Captain Wilm Hosenfeld's Soviet captors believed he was lying and beat him many times, eventually leading to his death in a POW camp. Vadek Spielmann survived the war. In 1946, he wrote his autobiography while the details of everything that happened was still fresh in his memory. However, Stalin's government suppressed the book and it was hidden from most of the world's view for decades until, in 1998, Vadek's son, Andrzej, published a new version. It didn't take long for the book to become a bestseller then. In 1999, Roman Polensky started negotiations for the film rights. Sadly, Vodak passed away, just like the movie indicates, on July 6th, 2000. It was at the height of his popularity due to the book and the film being in the works. In an interview with Newsweek, Andrzej said Vodak was in great health. Then, suddenly, he was gone. He feels the success of the book and the talk of the film itself were partly to blame. He went on to say he couldn't envision his father being able to bear watching his own memories on screen for the duration of the film. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. If you haven't already, I would highly recommend picking up the Pianist, the extraordinary true story of one man's survival in Warsaw, 1939 through 1945. It is simply Vodak's recounting of the things that happened. And even though the movie was amazingly accurate to the book, there are so many little details that no one can reproduce. You really have to go read them for yourself. And that's not to mention the excerpts from Captain Wilms Hosenfeld's journal. Seriously, make that the next book you read. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Based on a True Story podcast. When you're done ordering your copy of The Pianist book, why not hop over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show? I would truly appreciate it. Thank you so much in advance. You can find the link to Vodic's book, 
all of the other podcast episodes we've covered, sign up for the show's newsletter to get some exclusive behind the scenes of the show and more over at the show's home on the web at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Finally, it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. As a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, Vodik was caught by a German officer near the end of World War II, but the officer helped him hide and survive by giving him food. Number two, just like Vodik in the movie, the film's director also survived a Polish ghetto and had family members murdered in the Holocaust. Number three, Vodik joined the Polish underground and was a key figure in the Warsaw Uprising. Did you find out which one was a lie? The lie is number three. Although Vodik witnessed the Warsaw Uprising, he didn't join in the fighting, which is probably for the best since he wasn't a trained soldier and wasn't always in the best of health due to the horrific conditions that he had to survive through. Did you get the right answer? Or maybe you're someone who's listening to the show but you haven't reached out to say hi yet. I would love to hear from you. Shoot me a quick email at danlefeb, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B at gmail.com or reach out to me on Twitter where I'm at danlefeb, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B. Let me know how you heard about the show or just say hi. Thanks again for listening and I'll chat with you again really soon. <laughs>